So this morning, uh, I want to start in the same text we were in last week, Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, um, I'm going to read 34 through 40. uh, And we read this text last week, and it's going to kind of be our jumping off point this week as well. So Matthew chapter 22, um, starting in verse 34, it says, Hearing uh, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And so uh, this is what we talked about last week. The greatest command in all of Scripture the reason that we were formed and fashioned from the dust, the reason that we were knit together in our mother's womb, really the story of our lives, um, and not just chapter one of the story of our life, but every word of every page of the story of our life should be about this. should be about loving God with everything that we are and with everything that we have. Our lives should be spent uh, upon loving God. This is, this is why we're here. This is why we exist, to love God, to worship God. It's the, it's the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. But here's a second command. And, and here's the deal. The this, this second command actually hinges upon the first. The second command, what we're going to talk about to, today, the second area that we need to refocus our lives, it fully hinges upon the first. In fact, the second command cannot be lived out rightly unless you're loving God with everything that you have. You cannot do the second thing. And so that's why first things are first and first things are so important. And so what is the second area that I need to focus my life on? What's the second place I need to spend my life? Well, according to Jesus, verse 29, he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a bit awkward, isn't it? Like, am I the only one? Feels like that's a little awkward. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's really? Because I I don't know, my neighbors tend, like, they kind of want me to call before I come over. They don't like me just to intrude, right? Am I the only one that that makes you feel a little bit wheezy and and uncomfortable? Let me ask you a real honest, genuine question. What is your natural natural gut level response to to that command? Love your neighbor. Which is just your your natural gut level response? How how, how do you respond to, to that? Because like we talked about last week, I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner and I typically don't, don't aim for obedience. Remember, because obedience equals perfection and perfection is too costly. Um, So if I'm being honest, I don't usually aim for perfection. I aim for excellence or something even far below excellence. I aim for like the passing bar, right? And and, and so I, I don't know about you, but when I hear Jesus say, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, I, I'll tell you my gut level reaction. Ready? I mean, this is it. Just in my flesh, and, and I, again, I'm, I'm probably the chief of sinners here. I know no one else in the room is probably going to react the same way I react because you guys are, are are not as great sinners as I am. But I'm doing something like this. Um, um, Jesus, hey, over here in the corner, it's Jason. I mean, I know you know it's Jason because you're Jesus and everything. But <laughs> uh, just just clarification. What exactly do you mean by that? Like in my flesh, I'm just going to say, because I, I, I don't actually seek to obey God wholeheartedly. That's not who I am, right? I, I want to know, Jesus, what is the passing standard of loving my neighbor? 
Like, can you, can you flesh that out for me? Because I'm a fleshly person, right? Can, can, can you tell me what does it really look like to do that? Because I've got to be honest. I don't know, but that sounds costly. That sounds costly. And so for people like me, for other sinners, not for you guys, but for other sinners, Jesus went ahead and he addressed that question because he knew that they would have it. Not you guys, but I had it. And so he, I, I believe this conversation had because, uh, because of me. And so I want to take you to another conversation that Jesus has about the same subject, Luke chapter 10. So Luke chapter 10, if you'll turn there with me, uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, Jesus is going to have this same discussion, but he's going to flesh out that question that I would ask in my flesh, Lord, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And so Luke chapter uh, 10, starting in verse 25, it says, "On, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what he's saying. Hey, hey, teacher, oh rabbi, uh, what's it take to be good enough? He said, what what is the minimum bar? What is the minimum requirement to get into heaven? That's the question, right? And so Jesus, uh, great teacher, he just answers the question with a question. By the way, parents, we should write that down. That's good. Like, why? I don't know. Why? And let your kids stare at you like, because I'm getting why a lot from Faith, so I'm going to start asking her questions back. Why? Why is the sky blue, Daddy? I don't know. Why is it? Ooh. It's going to be awesome. So the teacher in the law, teacher in the law has this, has, 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 listen, what, what is it going to take? What do I have to do? And Jesus says, I don't know. What, what does the law say? He says, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the law says. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what the law says. So you know what? Check this out. Verse 28, do this and you'll live. <laughs> what? I mean, let that sink in. Like, intention immediately arises as soon as Jesus says this, right? Because, like, the next verse, verse 29, says, but he wanted to justify himself. So the guy automatically, as soon as Jesus says, well, do that, he's like, ah, wait a second, hold on, what do you, time out, time out, Jesus. And here's what happened. You see, that was a common teaching in Jewish time. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That wasn't a new teaching from Jesus. They knew that. But Jesus says, yeah, you know what? You know it, and you teach it, but here's the deal. You want to be good enough, go live it. Ooh. Wait, wait, wait a second. You mean Jesus? I'm not just supposed to, like, know the things of God? Like, I'm not just supposed to have, like, a knowledge of the right thing to say and the right thing? I'm not just supposed to memorize Scripture? I'm actually supposed to live it? That's the point? Ooh. And so the guy says, wait a second, what, what do you mean? Like, like I, I'm going to defend myself. What does it actually mean to, who is my neighbor, teacher? Tell me who that is, and then I'll go do the things you're asking me to do. And so Jesus says, all right, let me tell you a story. He tells him a story starting in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, um, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came uh, to the place, and he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and he took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The man wanted a standard of law to follow. And Jesus says, listen, the law is not about a minimum standard of morality. Rather, it is about becoming the character. Becoming the character of God himself. That's what it's about. That's the heart of it. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we talk about what it means to love our neighbor. Three things I want to share with you. Here's the first. Here's the first. I want you to see this morning that God wants us to love people because he loves people and he created us to be like him. Now, if you got a bulletin when you came in, there's some sermon notes inside and you just fill in the blanks as you follow along. God wants us to love people because he loves people and he created us to be like him. And so last week we said God made us in his image, right? This is in Genesis uh, the, the, there was just God, and God spoke everything to an existence, and, and then God um, formed and fashioned us out of the dirt. He made us in his image, in his likeness, and, and, uh, and when he did so, God gave us all of his communicable attributes. That means God gave us every aspect of himself that he could without us becoming God. And the greatest of those attributes, the Bible says, is love. And so, so God uh, loved us, he, he made us, he loved us, he made us to be with him, and he, he created like perfection for us to be in. He gives everything that we needed for life life and for contentment, and his hope was that because of that, we would be thankful, grateful, worship him, and love him back, right? That we would choose to love him, because love is a choice. Love can never be forced. We remember that from middle school, right? You could never make a girl love you, right, guys? It couldn't happen. Couldn't happen. So, so, so here's, here's the truth. So God made us He made us to be in his image, and and he made us um, to love him, but we chose not to love him. We rejected him. We rebelled against him. Now, when we rebelled against God, we lost God, the Bible says. We lost our relationship with him. It was was completely broken. When we lost God, we lost the life of God, uh, that death entered the world. The wages of sin is death. And so we lost God, and we lost eternal life. And you would think, naturally, the way that we love people, that at that moment we would have also lost his love because that's how we would react if somebody rebelled against us. But God's love was unlike anything that humanity had ever known. And so God's love pursued us. In fact, John would write it this way. Book of 1 John 4.10. He says, this is love. This is God's love, right? Not that we loved him, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul would pin it this way in Romans 5.8. He would say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Well, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the point of both of those verses is that God loves, loved us when there was nothing especially lovable about us. God loved us when there was nothing especially lovable about us. And why? Because that's who he is. Because God is love. That is who he is. God cannot be anything but love because this is his character, right? God is loved and God, God is love and God is just and God is holy and God is right, but he is love. And so even though we rebelled against him, even though we rejected him, even though we despised him, even though we were his enemies, he pursued us because that is who he is. That's, that's part of his spiritual DNA. And guess what? The Bible says that we were made in that image. 
Which means that's part of our spiritual DNA too, right? God loved us because he is love and God loves people because he is love. And he calls us to love people because we are like him. Because we were made in his image. Because we were made in the image of God, we've got to love people. Second thing I want you to see this morning is that God wants us to love people that disagree with us and despise us because he loved us when we disagreed with and despised him, right? File this away because we're entering into an election year. This is a really important truth, right? God calls us to love people that disagree with us and despise us because he loved us when we disagreed and despised him. Uh, Again, I'm I'm in Luke 10, and I'm just going to read here verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, he's going to tell a story, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's the implication, the guy's Jewish. That's what you're supposed to get from that. right? And that's why the, the first two people that pass him are Jewish. right? It's a priest and a Levite. So these guys are Jewish. So a Jew is leaving Jerusalem, probably left the temple, and he's going down towards Jericho, and he is robbed. And he is completely robbed. I mean, they strip him naked. They, they beat him to death, take everything that he has. He, he, he's, he's hanging on by a thread, and this guy's a Jew. That's the point, right? And, and that, that, that's the point. And in verse 33, we find out the only person that stops is a Samaritan, Right? And, and so we know, we've been taught kind of a little bit, that Jews and Samaritans get along, but sometimes we don't know the extent of that, so here's the extent, ready? James and John, uh, Jewish guys, are walking with Jesus, and Jesus wants to cross through Samaria. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, and they say, hey Jesus, can we just call down fire from heaven upon these people and just kill them all? Like, just genocide on on, on the people of Samaria. This is how bad Jews hated them. You say, how could they have such a hate towards people? How is it possible? These are Jewish, God-fearing people. How could they hate somebody like that? Well, there's a history there, right? So when the Jews went into captivity, when, when Assyria came and took off all of the best and the brightest, and that's what they did, they, in captivity they would come in and they would take all the leaders, they would only leave behind the followers, And so they came, and they came into Samaria, and they took all the best and the brightest. They took all the leaders, and they just left the followers. And then Assyria did something. They they sent other people to to go and to to live in Samaria. All these foreign people. And so the Samaritans, there's no leaders, and so they're naturally followers. They began to follow these other people, these foreigners. And before you knew it, they began to intermarry with the foreigners. And so they they intermarried, and they had had their own kids. And what happened is their religion just got mixed. And so the Samaritans, they still believed in the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, but they rejected the prophets. They rejected uh, the wisdom literature. They rejected all the poetry. Okay, So, so, so literally they just had the Pentateuch. Okay? Now, when the Jews came back from captivity and they were released and they go to re- restart the building of the temple, guess what? The Samaritans opposed them. They said, nope, we don't think you should rebuild the temple. And they actually kind of fought against them. So the Jews are kind of, they got, got a little bit of reason to be angry. Uh, and the reason the, the, the Samaritans did that is because they had their own temple. They, they built their own temple on their own mountain and they claimed that that was the true temple and that the Jews were lying. You see the, the anger and the frustration kind of, kind of come out. And then here's the last thing that really got in their grill is, is that when Jews would pursue somebody that had committed a crime, those people would run to Samaria and Samaria became a safe haven for Jewish uh, refugees and prisoners. People that had committed crimes, they could run to Samaria and, and, and they would accept them. 
And so the Jews, again, they're just anger and hostility. And, and, and so, so for all these reasons, the Jews hated them. And friends, that's the beauty of Christ's teaching. Like, like you gotta, you got to get in to this to understand it. This is a call to radically love people that disagree and even despise us. That's what this is, right? This, this Jewish man, if he were healthy... If he were not naked and dying in the middle of the road, bloody and beaten, he would never have even talked to or looked at this Samaritan man. He despised him. There is no way. But the Samaritan loved him anyway. The Samaritan was his neighbor and loved him and took care of him. The Samaritan treated the Jew the way that God has treated us. I want you to see this in Scripture. Here's the picture again, Romans 5a. We despised we, we despise and disagreed with God. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, you could input rebellious people that hated God. Uh, Christ died for us. Uh, Romans 5.10 actually calls us enemies of God. It says, for while we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies. We, we rebelled. We didn't just disagree. We despised God. We were his enemies. But while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. He gave his own son that we might be reconciled. Take enemies and make them children. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we uh, be saved through his life? And then there's Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Because we were God's enemies, we deserve wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. God loved us when we despised him. And he wants us to do the same with others. He wants us to do the same with others. Lastly, I would share this with you about loving our neighbors. God wants us to love people and meet their needs with costly love. God wants us to love people and meet their needs with costly love because meeting our greatest need cost him everything, right? God wants us to meet the needs of others with a costly love because meeting our greatest need cost him everything in his son Jesus. I want you to look at, at the story with me again. We're going to read just 33 through 35. And as we read it this time, I want you to kind of keep a ledger. Anybody good at that? I'm not calling you out. Anybody good at keeping record of wrongs? Don't, uh, don't raise your hand. That's not, it's not, that's not love, by the way, 1 Corinthians. Don't keep record of wrongs. Um, anybody really good at math? <laughs> anybody good at figuring out costs? Just write in the ledger. Just kind of jot down all the costs associated with the love that the Samaritan has for the Jew. Ready? Here we go, starting in verse 33. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And, and when he saw him, remember the man is, has been stripped, he is naked, he is, he is uh, beaten, um, and, uh, and he's bloodied. Okay, so when he saw where he was, um, and we saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring, an oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. For any extra expense. So, so here's, here's the cost. Ready? I want you to look at what it costs him. Number one, it costs the Samaritan time. Do you notice that? He actually had to stop what he was doing. To, to meet the needs of the man that was, was stripped naked, bloody, and dying. He had to stop. 
And, and here's my fear for us, oh Christian friends, is that we are too busy with this thing that we've established as our own lives to ever stop and help somebody in need, right? Because, because we, we, we view everything in our life as crucial and important, right? And I'm sure that's what the priest was thinking, man, I, I, I've got to get somewhere. I'm, I've, I've got to get to the temple. I've got to, I've got to go do service. I've, the Levite, man, I've, I've got to get there or the priest is going to kill me. I've got to hurry. We, we, we think that everything is so important, yet God says, here's what's really important. Love people that were created in my image. That's what's really important. And, and so I want you to know it cost him something. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is found in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, the disciples and Peter begins to preach. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And there, seated outside the gate, beautiful, is a man whose feet have been crippled since birth. And it says this amazing verse, says that, that Peter stopped, the guy's asking for money, he stopped and he looked at him. And he says, listen, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you freely. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Right? And, and, and the astounding thing there is that Peter, a busy pastor, managed to stop in the middle of life and see a true need. Friends, we've got to stop. It's going to cost us something. And one of the things that, that loving others will do, it'll cost us time. I want you to notice it, it cost him probably some embarrassment. And maybe I'm the only man in the room willing to say, I believe in Genesis, right? I think Genesis was accurate. When Adam and Eve were found naked, they were ashamed and they hid and tried to cover themselves. So I'm just saying, like those locker room showers, you remember guys in football practice? Everybody shower naked. What, you can't afford a shower curtain, really? You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like there's a little bit of embarrassment having to deal with another man's uh, nakedness. There just is. There just is. I want you to see this. Like, like if you're driving with your kids downtown and there's a guy laying on the sidewalk and he is naked and asleep, you know what you're... Hey, kids, look, a dancing bear on the wire eating gummy worms. I mean, you're going to make something up. What? And they're going to look up... Because you don't want to deal with the questions that come from that. Right? Parents like, ah, we will talk about this for years. Look over there. So there's some embarrassment here, and, and it's going to cost him that, but he doesn't care. There's some risk here. You notice the guy's not just naked, but he is bloody? What, what, what are the worst diseases transmitted in our day today? They're all associated with what? Blood, right? Like, like that's, there's risk involved there. You don't notice the guy getting on his Ebola jumpsuit, right? Didn't, didn't do that, didn't get on his respirator, didn't find his extra double pair uh, gloves taped up. and I mean, he just jumps in, and he's going to help this guy. There's risk involved. Uh, there, there, there's cost involved. It says he bandaged his wounds. This is, this is costly. Can I ask you this? Did you think this guy was a doctor? I think some people think he was a doctor. It says he bandaged his wounds. What, you think he just had some extra band-aids on hand because he's a physician? Where do you think he got the cloth? Where do you think he got the cloth? There are a couple of ways that you could think about it. Some people would say on long journeys that people would travel with burial cloth in case they died so people could wrap them up. This is where we get Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloth. But that's only for a long journey. I don't think this guy was going very far. Can I tell you just my opinion here? And I always tell you when it's my opinion. Here's my opinion. I think the cloth came from his own tunic. I think he ripped his own clothes to cover the other man's and, and, and bandage him. I, I think he walked away half naked because of this. I think this was costly. This was sacrificial. What about discomfort, right? Because he finds the guy, and the guy's half dead, and so the guy can't walk, and so what does he do? He puts the guy on his donkey. Now, there's a reason he took a donkey, because he didn't want to walk, right? I mean, this is, that's why we drive cars, because we don't want to walk everywhere. But this is like you ran across a guy in Maynard with a whole family, and, and they took up every seatbelt in your vehicle, so you said, oh, yeah, go ahead. You drive home. I'm going to walk. 
Like, I don't know about you, but I, I left my house with a car for a reason because I wanted to drive back home, not walk. But I want you to notice the discomfort. What about money? You notice it cost him money too? I mean, he, he, he goes to the end. By the way, we talk about time. There's even more time. He spends the night with the guy, he kind of healing in bed. Then he gives money to the innkeeper and says, here's, here's, here's some money. And by the way, if this doesn't fit the bill, I will come back and pay you more money. You just let me know. I'm going to take care of every need that this man has. And don't forget danger. After all, he found the guy in the same place that he was robbed. That's there too. Here's, here's what I want you to see, and you may want to write this down, okay? This is a costly, sacrificial, dangerous act. This is a costly, sacrificial, dangerous act aimed at meeting the whole needs of a person in your path. This is a costly, sacrificial, dangerous act aimed at meeting the whole or the entire needs of a person put in your path. That's what this is. I love what Tim Keller calls this. He calls it holistic ministry. He says this is taking care of the emotional, physical, financial, medical, and you name it needs of anybody that comes along your way. It's going the extra mile. And friends, this isn't cheap, right? Because obedience isn't cheap. That's why nobody shoots for obedience. Because it's, it's, it's costly. This is, this is costly, sacrificial, dangerous. And friends, this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. Amen? Jesus gave us everything He had. We were naked and bloodied. We were left for dead by, by sin and by Satan. And He came and He gave His very life that we might be saved. He raised us up and He seated us with Him. Ephesians 2. He clothed us in righteousness. He healed our wounds by being wounded for our sake. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we were healed. So man, what do we do with that? I don't know about you. I'm overwhelmed. Anybody else? Like Jesus says, love your neighbor. There it is. Ready? Anybody else going, wow, wow, that's a, yeah. So I want to give you a starting point. Now listen, you may choose to start some other place, but I'm just, I'm here to help. Uh, So I want you to do this, take out your sermon notes there and uh, flip them over now to the backside. And you're going to see this little diagram. This is the Art of Neighboring. Art of Neighboring is a book that came out not long ago. It's a book that we'll probably study together as a church at some point. Um, you'll, You'll hear us talk about it a little bit. So here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Number one, ready? Start where you are. Start where you are. Start with your actual neighbor would be a good thing. Um, and so The Art of Neighboring was a book based uh, by some um, pastors in Colorado. And they were meeting with city government. And they are saying, how can we help you? How can we help you? And the government always has a million things they want the church to do. Because they don't want to, you know, it, it helps their budget if the church will take on all their responsibility. And, uh, and they're like, the church is like, no, no, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And finally, somebody says, well, you know what? would be awesome. Um, actually, we're getting statistics now that just say if people would love one another and would take care of their neighbors, our, 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 our community would be radically different. And the pastors just sat there quietly, and, and when the government officials got up, they just looked at each other, and they were like, did they just tell us to, to basically just go and live out the second greatest commandment? Yeah, they did. The thing we're supposed to be teaching our people, the thing we're supposed to be living for, if we would do that, the world would be a better place. Well, that's what people that don't believe in God said. So, so let, me, let me do this with you, okay? So this is a diagram. 
Uh, that's your house in the middle. Now, some of you live in the country. It's a little more difficult, right? Okay? So you may not have eight neighbors all around you, but you have neighbors. You figure it out. Okay? Work at it. Now, here's the deal. Don't go home and try to fill all this out. This is a gradual step-by-step. Um, you remember, oh gosh, uh, what about Bob? You, anybody remember what about Bob? Baby steps to the kitchen. Baby steps. Okay, take baby steps. This is what we're doing. Baby steps. Ready? So, number one, baby step number one. Know the names of your neighbors. Like, start there, okay? Here's the sad truth. Most people, and we're talking about Christians primarily, have taken this on. Most Christians, most do not know. Only 10% can fill out step one and know all the names of their neighbors. Only 10%. That is, that is shocking. That's shocking, but it's absolutely true. We, just, we, don't, we, we do our life, we don't care about anybody else, which means we're not living out the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. So start here, learn their names. Now, there's going to be some embarrassment. This is costly, by the way. I actually had to go across the street not long ago and say this. Ready? Here it goes. Hey, um, hi, how are you doing? Um, by the way, I, 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 I know I feel terrible. I've lived here five years, and I don't know your name. And, and, and uh, I just wanted to say, my name's Jason. And he's like, hey, I'm Michael. I was like, cool, Michael. I'm, I'm so sorry, man. Would you forgive me? He's like, yeah, man, it's cool, whatever. And we started talking about life. And, and, and so we say hi now on a regular basis. I was going to preteen camp. My wife went to Houston. And, and Mark was like, hey, you going somewhere? He came over and made sure my dog had water. Isn't that awesome? That's just it's my neighbor. But, I, but I, had to, I had to get out of my comfort zone and, and actually go say, listen, I'm sorry. I should have done this earlier. So, so I, that's step one, learn their names. Only 10% of people do that. Step two, I want you to learn um, some information about them. <laughs> now, this information cannot be gathered from your driveway, all right? You can't say Michael drives a black truck. That doesn't count, right? Because you can see that from your driveway. This is information you get from physically actually speaking with the, the people, like maybe where they grew up or what their hobbies are. So you go and you meet them and you talk to them, and as you're over there, you see they have a golf bag in their garage. Like, oh, hey, do you play golf? Yeah, I play golf. I love golf. Cool, Michael likes golf. I'm going to write it down, right? Now that it's on my sheet that he likes golf, guess who else? I happen to like golf. So maybe we're going to get together at some point and go play some golf. What do you think about that, right? Crazy, crazy that I would actually have a relationship with the people that live next to me and maybe be like Jesus called me to be. I don't know. I'm just saying only 3% of people will ever get to that point. But we're going to do better than that because we're going to be intentional. So you're going to take this and stick it on your refrigerator and you're going to slowly work at it. It may take you all year. But we're going to work on this, Okay. Lastly, is that in-depth information. Now, only 1% of people uh, can do this. And in-depth is like what their hopes and dreams are, maybe their spiritual beliefs, their, their career plans. So, so guess what? Like, like I actually have to go have a conversation with Mike, figure out that he likes to play golf. But guess what? It's only when I actually go play golf with him that I figure out that, that he's actually in a job that he doesn't like and he's looking to change careers. Well, now that's in-depth information. That's something I can say, oh, man, I had no idea. You know what? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Now, every time I see him and I have a conversation with him, I can go, hey, man, has God opened up any doors yet? Has, has he led you in a direction yet, right? I've, I've got some, because I have in-depth information about my neighbor and I'm loving them. I'm loving them. So start where you are, number one. Number two, ready? Um, get uncomfortable. Ha <laughs> ha! Get uncomfortable. But we don't like to be uncomfortable. Come on, it's 115 million degrees and we're running our ACs like they're going crazy because we want it 72 degrees inside. We don't like uncomfortable. It's somebody in the first service, their son is in Abu Dhabi. It is 157 degrees. Yeah, deal with that. Suck it up, Texas, deal with it, 
right? It is not 157. Stop whining, all right? But here's the deal. We like comfort, so you've got you've to get uncomfortable. This means loving people that don't agree with you, people that make you uncomfortable, people that you don't have the same beliefs or values even as, right? So this means like your neighbor whom you're loving, and I don't know where you are politically, and to be honest, I don't care, right? Because we're not about politics, because politics can't save us, but Jesus can, so we're about him. By the way, that's what the church should be about is Jesus. Like, I'm not backing any political party because uh, I think they're all a little tainted. But anyway, but let's say you're a conservative Republican. Hopefully you are a Christian that happens to be a conservative Republican and you're not one of those wackadoos that's a conservative Republican that happens to be a Christian because that means you've got your whole life backwards and upside down. Uh, so, but let's say that that's who you are and, and your neighbor goes out and puts a big fat daddy Hillary sign in the front yard, Right? Hillary is awesome. Bill was the best president we ever had. Cool. Love them. Love them. Love them. Love how unique they are. Love the fact that, you know what? They probably support that person because they have a great heart for social ministry. So why don't you go talk to them about social ministry and how the church can meet the needs of those things and government can get out of it, right? Talk to them. Love them, right? I mean, I mean even worse, your next door neighbor may put a big Trump sign in his front yard, right? Oh, my dear Lord Jesus, I will pray for you, right? I'm sorry if I just offended you. By the way, Jesus is our Savior. Did I mention that? Um, but here, here's the deal. You don't, I, I don't have to agree. I just have to love. God calls me to love people that I disagree with. Guess what? I live in a world, guys, now that, that, that I, I disagree with the, the vast majority of, of America about what constitutes marriage. But you know what? That doesn't mean that, that if somebody um, is, is, is gay, that I, I, I reject them. You know what it means? It means I love them. It means that, that, that I love them, that I actually spend time with them, that I invest in them, that I, I, I see their value as a human person. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so we've got to get to this point that we do this, okay? Get uncomfortable. Number three, um, you've got to look for and share opportunities. I know I'm running over. Just deal with it. Uh, welcome to church. Uh, number three, Look for and share opportunities. Because here's the deal. If you're praying for opportunities, God's going to show you opportunities to love people. And, and love is what? It is costly, sacrificial, and dangerous. Ready? That's what love is. Love for your neighbor is costly, sacrificial, and dangerous. So there are going to be times that you come across somebody and the need is too costly, too sacrificial, and too dangerous for you to fulfill all the need on your own. So you look for the need, you do everything that you can, and then you know what you do? You call up your Christian brothers and sisters, your biblical community, of which you better be living in, and you say, hey, church, we've got to help out this family. And the church rises up and says, amen, we've got to help out this family because God has created us to love him and to love people, right? And so you look for opportunities and you share opportunities. And that's what life is supposed to look like. And here's the last thing, ready? You better... Lean into Jesus as you do it. There is not a single way that you can love somebody like that in your flesh. It's not natural. Natural is sitting at your couch, 72 degrees, watching TV, maybe with an ice-cold beverage of your choice, ignoring the rest of the world. That's life. That doesn't lead to life, but that's what we've settled for for life. Jesus says there's a way that leads to life, and it comes through me. The only way we can love God and we can love people like the Bible calls us to is to lean into Jesus and to let him do it in us. We pray, 
Jesus, help me love you more. Jesus, help me love people the way that you have designed me to love people. You knit me together for this purpose. Please help me do it. Let them see you in me. Would you guys pray with me?